I'm Andrew. I'm married to Michelle. And I'm Michelle. <laughs> okay. So this is the question. I like how they started off. They say, one of my friends has liked a guy for a while. He seems to be giving hints to her that he likes her too, sending heart emojis every now and then, confiding in her about some personal things, saying he always enjoys spending time with her. However, he has shared that quite a few girls like him and he's not sure why. If maybe he's giving off the wrong vibe. She has a feeling that we might be doing this with her as well and doesn't quite understand that he's playing with her emotions when he sends heart emojis and tells her personal things making her feel special. She has also had moments when he's unspokenly sent the message of, in inverted commas, no, but we are just friends. And then, she, and then this person says, I've seen this in many cases with boys in my own life and other girls, where they just sometimes don't seem to know that sometimes they communicate a message that could be interpreted in inverted commas, I want us to be more than friends. But they don't actually mean that. What would your advice be to guys so that they don't cause any hurt or confusion in the girls around them so that they can be aware of guarding their hearts even in friendships? I saw Michelle nodding her head there as if she understood the question. Um, I think Craig partly answered it in terms of saying, guys, don't lead a girl on if you're not serious. Uh, and I think that really listen to that. Don't, don't lead someone on if you're not serious. That really isn't fair. Uh, it's very unkind. Okay, so obviously it's, it's, you shouldn't lead girls on, but it's often a bit confusing. In today's culture, we have very close relationships between girls and guys, and it's often just friendship. It's not relationship-based. So it's quite hard for the boys to know when they're actually leading someone on. And I think, personally, I would say as a guy, not me... <laughs> I have some news for no jokes. Um, as a guy, you should um, be careful how much like uh, personal one-on-one -on -one attention you're giving a girl, and just showing her like sitting down with her and saying like I care about you. And, and obviously, it's very important to care about each other in friendships, but always be careful because the more attention you give a girl like one-on-one, -on -one, the more they're gonna think that that's your focus is to be one-on-one -on -one with them rather than like. So if you feel, if you have a little feeling that you might be leading them on, act on that feeling, separate yourself a bit, say, I'm going to respect you and your heart, um, and step back. Or? Or ask them out. You never know, it could go somewhere. Yes, heart emojis don't mean stuff, girls. It's just a heart. <laughs> uh, okay, I... I hope that was helpful to whoever that person was who sent that question. Okay, we're going to... Was there anything else that you wanted to add, perhaps? I'm just thinking that it's also the girl's... Um, it's, it's not only the guy's responsibility, it's also the girl's responsibility to recognize that. And if you listen to Craig's comments about um, 
is this the kind of person I would be willing to marry? Would you be willing to marry somebody who is forming lots of intimate, sort of intimate relationships with lots of women? And the answer then is no. So if they're doing that kind of thing right now, I would, I would actually set them straight. Um, and I think that, that if you go into it thinking, um, I'm not going to let somebody play around with me. If you want to have a relationship with me, then, then take me seriously and treat me well. And you, people will treat you as you allow them to treat you. Great. Okay. We're going to move on to our next question, which was also sent in earlier on in the week. The question is, what is your view on having an older couple mentor a younger couple while they are dating? Keep them accountable and point out areas they might not see on their own. When would be a good time to start this? And then in, in, in brackets, as soon as, they are, as soon as they start dating, a few weeks, a few months, etc. I would say that person should be on the panel because they've clearly got a lot of wisdom there. That sounds like a really good idea. Um, I'm not sure of the timing. Um, probably when the relationship was beginning to develop and seemingly to go somewhere. But I would say that that's a, a very good idea. Uh, um, I was reading the Bible the other day. <laughs> Um, and I actually highlighted in, I think it's either Job or Genesis, I'm somewhere around there. And <laughs> I'm taking this very seriously, I hope you guys know this. It says that wisdom comes with time, and I think that's true. Like, experience is valuable, that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> so, as people who, as, a, as an older couple, we're not going to define what that is, um, they've obviously had more time to experience things that work, things that didn't work. So as a younger couple, if you're unwilling to hear from an experienced couple, then maybe you should check your heart and be like, Am I, is this a pride thing or is this, or, or is this something else? And then talk to God about that. So now we're going to move on to the questions that some of you guys anonymously wrote down um, earlier on this evening. And I'm going to read them out as they are. I won't filter them. So the first question is, should we date non-Christians? That was one of my basic rules when I was, when I was a teenager. I didn't date non-Christians. So I don't recommend it. I've seen too much heartache with people who are married to unsaved people because people don't become a Christian just because you're a Christian. And I've seen so much pain. So I would say, don't. Now, if you're taking Craig's point about is that someone that you would be able to marry? Now, certainly from the marriage workshops that we've run, um, when one's a Christian and the other isn't, it creates a lot of difficulties. It's a much more complicated and difficult relationship and very hard to make it work well. I think um, marriage is about being headed somewhere. And if, if, if we are following Christ and we're headed in a direction following him, then in your marriage, if, you're, if the partner's not headed in the same direction, that at some stage is going to make you move apart, and that will be painful. Okay, I hope that was clear. So our next question is... Um, 
how do I move the relationship on to the next level? And how do I know that we are ready or not? Would they like, like to go into detail about what they mean about the next level? <laughs> I think it's a very good idea to make a decision before you even start dating or as soon as possible with very clear thinking about where, you, where your levels are and, and when those levels are going to take place. But I'm speaking particularly physically. That you make a decision at some stage early in your life about how far you're going to go and how far you think it's appropriate to go. And that I think what you do should do after study of the Bible and after good discussions with people you respect who have marriages that you respect, um, who have experience like Grace. Um, and and make those make those decisions about how how far your levels are very early on in your life when you not when you are late at night in a quiet place with a, you know, a person with whom you're romantic and it's dark and yeah dangerous. I remember people saying you just know you just know and it really bothered me. People said, you just know. But watching my girls grow up, they often said to me, Mom, is this the right man for me or not? And I refused to answer the question because they didn't know. And it's a horrible answer to the question, but you just do know when it's the right person. Not quite sure that that was the question, though. But what I did notice with my girls when they dated the person who wasn't the right person for them, they weren't fully themselves. They were trying to be someone else. But when they met the man that they finally married, they were themselves. So if you are not being yourself, fully yourself, with the person you're dating, don't go to the next level. Good answer. Good answer. Our, our next question is, how do I know if a life of celibacy is for me? <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> you know, you just know. I think if you reach 80 and you still haven't met someone, maybe then you know. <laughs> but we do. We have actually seen some examples of um, in our church where someone who had never got married, but when she was about 60 or something, she actually met an older man and they got married. So uh, I'm serious. You probably never know until the end of your life. Uh, I, th I think that... It's very important to recognize that, that Jesus went through life without being married and was a completely whole person, a completely whole human being, and that celibacy and being single is fine. You're no less of a person. You're no less of a Christian. Um, there is something worse than not being married, and that's being married to the wrong person. Um, but I just want to affirm singleness, and if that's a season that you're in, God loves you, and 
it's it's okay. Um, yeah, Jesus is the best example of celibacy and the the best advert, if you like, for that for that lifestyle. I remember when my sister came home. She was married, and she came home because her husband was on the border, and she said, oh, "I feel like." such a half a person because my husband's not here. And I remember walking into my room, banging the door closed and saying to God, so I'm a half a person because I haven't got a husband? I was really angry and I had to deal with God on that. And he said to me, you are complete in me. And until you can find your completeness in God, you're not ready to find a partner. And I just wanted to follow up on Andrew's comment. One of my favorite quotes is, it's better to wish you were married than to wish you weren't. Just think about that. Okay. Our, our next question is somewhat theological. So, so this person asks, should we date? Is dating mentioned in the Bible? If so, then dating is simple. If not, then how do we know, in inverted commas, Christian outlines for dating? If Craig wants to jump in there. Your context determines a lot around how dating occurs and culture and how relationships are formed and develop into marriage. And there are cultures where dating isn't a thing. Um, and part of that was in Scripture, but I try to show you from Scripture that simply drawing, drawing a direct line from that culture into ours results in absolutely chaotic scenes um, in terms of being overly simplistic. Um, and, I, and I do think that, that we're on a, there is the search is real. It's there. And so learning how to do that in a godly way is far more important than trying to find an exact cultural recipe. The cultural recipe and the cultural practices will vary, and in each of those contexts, you have to learn what it means to be godly. You, we're not going to change the world simply by demanding that everyone change the way relationships are formed. So we have to find out how in our culture we can be godly. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about, um, so when Hillary and I first met each other, we was yeah at PBC, and um, we were actually just good friends. We were genuinely good friends. Um, we would do things together, but there was nothing romantic, but it was a, we were a really good friendship. I mean, there was even a time when we organized double dates for each other. Um, uh, and then, and, and so what I would say, certainly, I think a really good foundation for a good relationship is to be good friends to be best friends, and to start there. Um, go out in groups together um, rather than one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and what we found is it over time, um, quite quickly, I suddenly said to Hillary, I think my feelings are changing. And she said, what do you mean? Said, she was playing hard to get. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> she was wanting to be more explicit than about what I meant about that. But the point is that the fact that we started off as really best friends was an amazing foundation for our marriage. And so I would encourage you, hang out with friends, be in groups together, get to know each other well, and don't 
push or pressurize yourself. Just take your time. So there's a Bible verse I just want to get in here somewhere, so this seems like a good point. First um, Timothy 5, Paul's writing to a young pastor, and he says, Don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I think that's, that's a good thing to put up on your wall. All right. I think this is, this is going to be our final question from the box before we go to the floor. Um, and this question is, do you think there's a minimum age people should generally follow um, as the youngest we, in terms of when we should be dating? So is there a minimum age? I think Craig answered that already. No, I don't know if there is a specific age. Um, that you can say, now it's okay, now it's not. And I think each person has their own level of development, and some people are slow maturers and some people mature more quickly. Um, in our family, we didn't allow girls to date until they were 16. We just on that, if your parents have a limit, honor that, because the Bible says honor your father and mother. Awesome, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, so now if you were unable to place your question in the box, there's an opportunity for you now to ask a question. I know that Jared had one. I see, I see Josh. I don't know, Josh. Why are you asking questions? Okay. <laughs> so, Jared. Right, so a question for the panel. Um, so, obviously, we always talk about boundaries and physical boundaries within a relationship, but is there like a... Is it is physicality in a in a dating relationship even necessary? Yeah. I I would certainly say that if you're planning to get married and there's no physical attraction, you've got a problem. <laughs> there, there should be. And I remember when we were engaged, we were we were chatting to um, Hillary's uh, sister and, and brother-in-law, and we were talking about the fact that yeah, that the temptation was real, and we were finding it difficult. And they said, oh, that's good, uh, because you, there should be a physical attraction if you're going to get married. Um, but the other comment that I would make is that you will never regret going too slowly. You will always regret going too fast. So you do no harm by going too slowly. Um, you do can, you risk a lot of harm if you go too quickly. So if there are any doubts, slow it down. Yeah, I, th I think... It depends, it depends on your age, and um, I think you've always got to bear in mind that you want, to, as, as Paul writes there, you know, you want to treat people with absolute purity. And, you know, if you're at a, at a young age, chances are you might not get married, and then what? You've got a, you've got a history with someone. Um, I think Gary's right. Each, each step um, is, is, is exciting and good, and it takes time and going slow is is important cool my my question is um one that i think i'm still working out so i don't have all the answers unfortunately but in terms of gender roles um within dating relationships um at what point like do you actually sit down and discuss okay these are roles that as a guy i have to do or as a girl i have to do and um how do you navigate that in a godly way so that you're both on the same page? Um, because I think there's some people that are going to say, you know, 
this is what I believe, and then other people would disagree with that. And how do you navigate those roles, especially now that roles are changing in society as well? I just think that it's important to bear in mind that when, when you do get married, you are a new unit. And within that unit, you make your rules for yourselves according to your situation, your personalities, your, um, your needs. And I think that w we come from, you know, two different families who had, diff uh, you know, their understandings of roles. Um, and that could, you know, potentially confuse the, the picture when, you know, you have expectations of your wife because your mother did it. But, you know, it was very different in her family. So I think it's something that you negotiate between the two of you. And I, I don't think, I think that that's so difficult to answer nowadays because life is so different and changing so much all the time. I don't think there are wrongs and rights necessarily about roles. Um, one of the things, one of the pre-marriage courses that we've done, there's some questionnaires about who made the, makes the coffee in your home. And you'll find that your spouse one day will have the opposite gender will have made the coffee. Who cooks the meal in your home? And you'll find that your spouse one day, it's the office, opposite gender. And in our home, Gary grew up in boarding school and then went to varsity and stayed in res, so he never learned to cook, so I cook. If Gary's make, uh, making supper, it's takeaways. <laughs> um, but, but our girls, who grew up with a mother cooking, all their husbands cook. So you can't, it's, it's every family, every couple has to decide on, on how they are going to live and what priorities they're going to, to put in place. And that's fluid. Roles are fluid. I think one of the things to understand is, is we just don't understand how much our own family experience is our default setting. And, and you might not even like the default setting. I mean, I have no idea why Microsoft says South African English is spelt the American way. Like, who told them that? Like, you know, just fix it. Um, color is a six-letter word, not a five-letter word. And, uh, you, you know, you just want to go, come on, people. And it's a default setting, and you don't even know that you're reacting to your default setting and sometimes the setting is there, and you don't like the way your family did it, and then you make an inner vow, I will never do that. And so you're carrying this complicated sort of like narrative in the back of your mind. And if you're going to explore relationship, one of the things to do, like that, uh, that survey you do, is to actually just talk about your family of origin and what was the normal, what was the assumption, and you can really begin to kind of get a head start on, um, on, on developing an understanding and a meaningful partnership with each other. I just wanted to add something to that, two things really. Um, I think that we have to remember that um, Satan is out to deceive us and ruin our lives. And he will use whatever method he can to do that. And I think that two of the important methods is, is media and music and the kind of role models we see in, in movies and the kind of um, you know, messages we get about love in, in songs. And I think it's very important to be thinking people about our relationships. And then just linking to what Craig said, um, if we've had particularly um, complex um, family um, patterns that, that as we've watched our parents and our grandparents, that it, it's really been very unhealthy relationships. 
it would be very easy for us to repeat those. And, and then it would be necessary to do even more research, read more books, perhaps speak to a counsellor, um, just to, to educate yourself about um, mistakes you could make just as a result of doing things that, that was normal in your family. I was going to follow up a little bit with that and say Gareth and I both had to come a very long way away to a completely different continent to break family cycles from our own families and set up a way of doing things that worked for us. And we we're very non-stereotypical. You know, I go to work, I do the forms because Gareth's dyslexic. He looks after the children. But those are all valuable things. And quite often it's... When you do do something that isn't the default for your society, you start seeing how people value different things and, and how little value often this women's work of looking after children and rearing a family is often viewed. And so it, I, one of the things Hillary said earlier on was in your relationship you need to be able to be fully yourself. And, and so if, if from the dating point of view, if you are already in dating, feeling that you are not able to be fully yourself, that, you know, if you're the one that likes to fix things with the hammer and that's not the kind of, like, what, that's not what happens in your culture, but that's how it is. If your potential husband or potential wife doesn't like that, it's not going to get better when you get married. It's only going to get harder. So you do need to be able to be fully yourself and express yourself because that's what love is about. And it's about helping each other and you know you're both putting in a hundred percent and you're covering each other's weaknesses and you're you're backing each other up so and if you're not doing that in this dating relationship there's something broken and and you need to either look at how do you mend yourself how do you become whole yourself so that you're contributing more to a relationship that isn't abusive and isn't breaking people down or you need to end the relationship because it's not going anywhere okay are there any other questions perhaps from a girl Ah. Um, so, what happens if, I mean, I say grow up because I'm still a teenager. Like, I'm a grown-up woman, and my future husband is not as pure as I am. How can you, and you, you're 100% sure that that's, that's going to be your future husband, but he's not pure. How do you see that? Like, can you accept it? Can you not? Is it? That's one of the questions that gets discussed in the LAM course, the Love After Marriage course. And there is a level in your relationship where you need to disclose your previous relationships. And if you disclose that kind of thing too early, it can mean a breakup. And if you disclose it too late, it breaks trust. Because if you're boyfriend, girlfriend, has been sexually active and you're pure, is what you're asking, then you need to be able to forgive him and ask God to forgive him. And he needs to ask you to forgive him for not waiting for you. And so there is a level of disclosure that's needed before you go any further in your relationship if, it's go if you're going to marry, because otherwise trust will have been broken. Yeah, not sort of indirectly linked to that. I think it's quite important to um, to have a relationship where there's trust and respect. So if there's anything happening in the relationship that's undermining trust or undermining respect, 
then that should be a red light, a warning light to you. So if, for example, your boyfriend or girlfriend is trying to pressurize you to do something that you feel is wrong or that you feel uncomfortable about, then actually that's a very strong warning light because that's a lack of respect. If the person respected you, they would not pressurize you to do something that you don't want to do or you feel is wrong. And similarly, if you want trust, there has to be openness and honesty um, for there to be trust in a relationship. Again, if things are hidden, that undermines trust. And if you get the feeling that your boyfriend or girlfriend is actually keeping things hidden and you feel that you can't trust that person, again, that would be a very strong um, warning light to say, hang on, this is, might not be, probably isn't the right person for you. And I think the other thing that I feel quite strongly about is if you sense this, this, there's something not quite right about this person, but you're hoping they will change, um, don't. Because the majority of the times the person doesn't change. And if you're depending upon um, the fact that they will change or they promise that they will change, you've got to actually, they've got to be able to demonstrate the change before you take the relationship further. To actually assume that once you get married, they will suddenly be a different person, that doesn't happen. All right. Is there, I am watching the time, and we did aim to finish at around quarter past eight. So is there perhaps one more question? Otherwise, we're going to close now. On the, on the topic of um, long-distance relationships, say you, were <laughs> say you were together, and for some reason you had to go apart from each other, maybe maybe just to another place or even to another country. How do you think, on the terms of like communication and the difficulties that will come up with going long distance, what do you think some advice would be to the person who would be experiencing that? Um, it, I think it depends on how long you're going to be apart for. It may change over time. Gareth and I were apart for three months um, shortly before we got married, I came here and he was still in England. And I think it's important to keep in touch. Uh, email is amazing. WhatsApp is amazing. These days, there's so many ways to communicate um, that I believe it, it can work. Um, if You have to be able to trust each other. I mean, if you can't trust that he or she is behaving themselves and they're in a different place, you can't trust that they're going to behave themselves when you're in the same place, to be quite honest. So there is a certain amount of guarding your heart that you need to do um, because one of you is in a different place making friendships and whatever and feeling lonely, and so you do need to kind of protect that part of your heart as well so that you are also being faithful and honest and keeping that bond connection. If you're going to be apart for a very long time, you may have to ask yourself... Is there some way in which we can be together? Is this a relationship that's going to work long-term if we're talking about years and not months? Um, so, uh, but those are open and honest conversations you have to have between you. And if you decide it's not going to work, then a godly break is a good way to go. Um, if, you, if you can find ways to communicate, stay together, it's really important to tell each other what's going on in your lives and be honest about it. Uh, one of the really beneficial things that Gareth did, just he, we, we were just about to get married, we couldn't afford it, but he bought a plane ticket and he came and spent two weeks with me here 
so that he could see what my life had been like for those three months that I'd spent in this country. And we, we didn't know that eventually we'd come and live here. Um, but that was a really important thing that he was able to see the world that I was living in and occupied so that there was not this part of my life that was completely alien to him that he had had no experience of. And so being able to give each other those kinds of things. And people told us at the time, you're crazy to go and spend all that money. You should be saving up for a house. And we're like, I really think that there's just something about like, you know, this experiencing each other's lives and culture and experiences really valuable and is much more important than how much your crockery cost. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think we've come to the end. I do want to honor you guys for your questions. Some of those questions and, and things that are related to relationships are deeply personal. And it touches a part of us that is, that is really deep down. So I want to honor you for the questions that you asked. And I want to say thank you to the panel our esteemed relationship experts. <laughs> Let's give them a hand. <laughs> Great.